0: Good morning. Today's Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah, um, verses 1 through 10. You can read along on page 713 of your pew Bibles. Hear these words from the book that we love. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The New Testament passage is Matthew 11, verses 2 through 11, which is different than what it says in the bulletins. We have it correctly on the monitors. Starting at verse verse 2 of chapter 11, Matthew. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are clean, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he." This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning Sherman. Um, it's hard to say much uh, about texts like Isaiah 35. Uh, it kind of says everything already. I just want you to like go home and read it again. Um, so go ahead. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm actually like really good at talking about stuff, so I'm going to keep you here while I've got a microphone. Uh, <laughs> The prophet Isaiah um, reaches for image after image to show us the God who comes to us, the one who comes to save. And we, um, reading this text, I think we treat it best if we let that imagery fill our hearts and our imagination with what God is doing in the world and what, with what the world will be when God's kingdom comes in full. When we're finally home. But it is hard to say much more than, yes, yes, Jesus come. That's the central phrase in this text. Anyway, your God will come, which makes it a perfect text for Advent. As we wait for the coming of our King on Christmas morning, and as we look forward to Jesus coming again, we pray Yes, Jesus, come. Come and save us. And it's important to remember that this like, exalted language of Isaiah 35 um, does not come to people whose lives have turned out exactly as they had imagined. The promises in Isaiah 35 come to a people who know the desert, whose lives are like a parched land, to a people with feeble hands and weak knees and fearful hearts. And that too makes it a perfect Advent text, because Advent is the time when we look squarely at the pain of the world and the pain of our own lives, and we refuse to look away And we remember that no matter what is threatening us or weighing on us or dragging us down, our God will come. It's in the desert that you most need words like that. When you most need to remember the promise. It's when you're dying for a single drop of water on your tongue that you need to remember that the rains are coming. As I read Isaiah's words, I like to imagine what it would be like to stand in the desert in the moment before the storm comes. Nothing happening. Nothing seems alive. It's dry and hot, and it has been dry and hot forever. There's like a cactus and a little bit of grayish grass that haven't fully withered in the drought. It's bleak. It's quiet. And then something changes in the air. The wind shifts. And the sky that's almost always bare. A cloud begins to form and to build. And everything seems to tremble with anticipation. The rain is coming and you can feel it. That is Advent, the waiting and hoping, turning our attention to the reverberations of God's kingdom in our midst. We want to live with that feeling of anticipation, even the whole year round. No matter where we're standing, no matter what parched land you find yourself in, no matter how dry and cracked the soil, you know the rains will come. You can feel it. Like the crocus, the wilderness is going to burst into bloom at any moment. That's the promise. And to hold on to that promise, we don't need to pretend that the desert doesn't exist, or that we're like really happy about the desert. You only need to be hopeful despite it, to know that something else is coming, and that's how you can find joy in the midst of it. It is the promise that allows us to take stock of things as they are. It is the promise that allows us to see clearly even the darkest parts of our world. It is the promise that allows us to laugh, though we've considered all the factors, as Wendell Berry says. Uh, Tony and I um, once took a friend of mine to a play about racism. Um, it was really powerful Uh, and painful play that uh, clarified the problem of race for a lot of white people. Um, And when we got out, we asked our friend what she thought, and she said, I just don't like to think about such negative things. Like, I don't know why you always focus on this awful stuff. Uh, And I kind of get that sentiment. Like, my life would be easier if I didn't care or pay attention. The terrible things that are happening all around, right? The deserts of the world. And sometimes I get dragged down by it all I get caught in despair. You know, I'd rather not have that problem. But it wouldn't make the deserts any less real if I refuse to look at them. And if we can't even look at the pain, we certainly can't do anything about it. A lot of people think Christianity is silly because a lot of Christians use their faith as an excuse to avoid the trouble of the world, as a way to not see, either because they insist that Jesus makes it all better, like already, or because they're caught up in worrying about things like swearing. Um, Tony often says when people... Sorry, I saw this post on Facebook from this pastor the other day, and he was like, people are saying, oh my gosh, and don't they know that that's a derivative of, oh my God, and have you addressed this with your congregation, and I was like. (laughs) 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 So don't say that guys. Uh, I'm just kidding okay (laughs) no I mean in response to things like that Tony will often say I like this line of his he'll often say you know there's real evil in the world like you only have limited amount of attention and time let's pay attention to the real evil in the world To have any credibility at all Our faith needs to be able to face what is true, even when it's painful. I'm not saying you have to read the news all the time or like enter into every tarred topic at every moment, Um, but one theologian captured it well saying, our hope just looks like cheap optimism if it doesn't share the present agony of the world. Now, I'm still in church in part because I see the gospel as something that gives us courage to be honest about the world without being crushed by it. It is a hope that lets us enter into the pain because we know that more is coming. You know, I think my friend is unwilling to look at hard things because she fears that if she lets it in, it will paralyze her. She can't handle it, because she can't see a way to fix it, and she doesn't see anything beyond it. I want the church to be known for looking into the storm without fear, for moving through it even with joy. I want the church to see the pain of the world, to weep with those who weep, even as they rejoice with those who rejoice, holding those two together creative and hopeful even in the face of deep darkness and it is the promise that helps us to survive the desert as we wait it keeps us from despair in the wilderness of the world because it's not and, and it's not enough to just be hopeful in our own hearts right? We're also given a task. Strengthen feeble hands, Isaiah says. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come and save you. There are lots of wastelands in this world and lots of people fainting in them. And we live in the richest world that has or richest country that has ever existed. But still many children, even in this city, are unable to get a good education. Lacking textbooks and teachers and a chance at something different. You know, the prison system is so out of control that this country imprisons more people than any country in the world. We have five percent of the world's population and twenty five percent of the world's prisoners. One in five American children live in houses where they're not sure if they'll be able to eat from day to day. That's just here. It's just a couple of the problems. Not even thinking about countries where governments have gone to war against their own people, where abject poverty cripples most of the nation. It doesn't even include the, uh, <laughs> the just total terror that is climate change. And then, of course, it doesn't even include the wildernesses in each of our own lives. Like where plans fail and relationships fail and bodies fail. It is so tempting to get lost in hopelessness, to despair, or to try and protect ourselves by turning away, turning to denial or simple answers or just to Netflix but we have been called to something better. In whatever wilderness you face, let the promises strengthen you. This is your hope. Hang on to it. Go home and read it again. Write it on your wall. Read it again and again. Live in the words of Isaiah. Let it strengthen you, no matter how bleak the circumstances, and then turn and give that strength to another. Let the promises steady you so you can steady another. Let the promises calm your fears so that you can say to another, do not fear, your God will come. And some of you may not be able to get to that steadiness now. It doesn't matter how many times you rehearse the promise, you know, and that's okay. That's why we do this together. That's why you don't do Christianity alone. If that's where you are, you let other people hold you up for a time until you're in a space where you can hold them up again. But as a community, maybe we become so saturated with the promises of God so that as a whole, as a community, we can be joyful and courageous, open fearless not huddled in the corner afraid to look at what's going on many of you probably know the story of sojourner truth Um, she was a slave in the 17 and 1800s she was bought and sold over and over again to a number of cruel masters beaten and abused She was told that she would be set free only to have her master change his mind. She had a child who died in infancy. At least three others sold away from her. She watched the man that she loved beaten to death by his master. If any life has been a desert, hers was one. But she was not conquered by it. She listened to God when God told her to escape slavery, and she just walked off with her infant daughter in her arms. She changed her name to Sojourner Truth, saying that God had called her to go out and testify to the hope that was in her, fighting for the abolition of slavery and for human rights, speaking the truth of God. She couldn't read or write. She had no education or money to her name, but she spoke passionately Um, at the end of one of her uh, anti-slavery talks in Ohio a man came up to her and said like old woman do you think anybody cares about what you have to say do you think it does any good like I don't care more about your talk than I do about the bite of a flea and in the strength of one who believes the promise she said perhaps not but Lord willing, I'm going to keep you scratching. Hers is a long fight to freedom, one that is still going on in many ways. But Sojourner Truth knew there was no desert too dry for the water of life to flood it. No land too barren for the creator of all to make it sprout and flourish. And I wonder for you all, What desert are you facing right now? What wilderness is threatening to swallow you up? What are you afraid to look at? Do not be afraid. Your God will come. To tell you the truth, I um, was practicing my sermon yesterday, and I got to this point, and I was like, i am afraid um i've been going through a hard thing that i'm not going to tell you the details about and I, <laughs> and i um i've just been mostly avoiding it and like not thinking about it because i was afraid i'd be swallowed up by it and um so i spent some time in prayer last night uh writing down all the things that were kind of circulating through my mind and um Usually pray in writing, uh, and kind of saying, "All right, like Jesus, here the fit, here it is," and asking the Spirit to show me what I needed to confess, and to show me what false guilt I needed to let go of, and um, to to come into the situation, and actually prayed through Isaiah 35 um, with this situation in mind. That this wilderness would burst in bloom. Um, what a relief to trust that God will make the wilderness bloom. That God will come. Now the text says that God will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. Uh, which are hard words for me to handle. Um, I prefer uh, gentler descriptions of God. <laughs> uh, but vengeance, uh, retribution, is God's love. Responding to those things in the world that steal and kill and destroy. That break down God's beloved. Like, that would do things like buy and sell the image of God in a human like Sojourner Truth, that would sell her children away from her, enslave her, trying to make her a tool instead of a person. When God comes, like when God came in Jesus, he came so that we could have life and have it to the full. When we let our vengeance fly, like when we, Sorry, when we let our vengeance fly, there is only like more destruction and escalating violence, right? That's why we're, vengeance and divine retribution are rightly resisted in us. <laughs> like, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back harder. You give me a bruise, I'll make you bleed. That's kind of how we do vengeance. But it seems, actually, from our text that divine retribution is quite different. If you look at the results of God's vengeance in this passage, um, at the end of verse 4 and into 5, it says this. God will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like the deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth from the wilderness and streams in the desert. It seems that even when God comes in vengeance, God still comes to give life. And look at the degree of the transformation. It's not just that the lame will like stand up and walk. No, they leap. The mute tongue doesn't just speak. It shouts for joy. The wilderness doesn't just get a little rain, enough to get by. It gushes. The burning sand becomes a pool. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. Let these promises strengthen you, fill you up, give you life, so that you can become a steady voice like the voice of Sojourner Truth, who kept speaking no matter how bleak it looked, no matter how useless it might have all seemed. As she said, life is a hard battle anyway. If we laugh and sing a little as we fight the good fight of freedom, it makes it all go a little easier. I will not allow my life's light to be determined by the darkness around me. Your task as a Christian, and it's not a small one, is to trust in the promise and live it out. To fight the wilderness of this world like one who believes that the parched lands will one day be flooded and burst into bloom, that the haunts where jackals once lay, right there is where grass and reeds and papyrus will grow that there will be a time when you don't lay awake at night consumed by worry and stress because gladness and joy will overtake you as in you won't be able to w- to get away from them sorrow and sighing will flee away as in you won't be able to catch them if you try and all of this this whole passage This whole promise comes to a people who are in the desert. It starts there. Isaiah 35 isn't spoken when everything is already set right. Promises like this are hopeful because they are shouted into the darkness, where there are feeble hands and weak knees and fearful hearts that need to be strengthened, held up, encouraged. It is actually from the dark places that the rejoicing comes. The promise is that the wilderness itself will be transformed. It is the desert, the parched land, the wilderness that will rejoice and be glad. They will shout for joy. It's not that God will take us away from the brokenness, but that God will renew it. This isn't escape, it's resurrection. You know, that's what we saw when God came in Jesus. Resurrection. New life from the tomb. It's how we're all saved. Through death. To new life. We're not a people who believe in consolation. You know, like a pat on the back that makes you feel better. We believe in restoration, all things made new. Tim Keller explains it like this. He says that that means that every horrible thing that ever happened will not only be undone and repaired, but will in some way make the eventual glory and joy even greater. And he tells the story of Samwise Gamgee at the end of Lord of the Rings. You know, Sam thinks that his friend Gandalf has died and when he discovers that Gandalf is alive, is still alive, Sam says, "Um, I thought you were dead. I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to become untrue? Totally messed that up. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer is yes. Yes. Yes, it will. It won't just be undone but transformed from desert to bubbling spring, parched land bursting with vegetation, somehow stronger for having been broken, because our God is mighty to save. C.S. Lewis said the same thing. They say of some suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backward and turn even that agony into glory. Hold on to this when you're in a desert of your own. Remind yourself, even this will be made new. Even this wilderness will rejoice. Even this thirsting ground will someday bubble with springs. Even this, even this, say it over and over, repeat it to yourself, even this will be made new. And that transformation has already started. The suffering that you have known, that you live now, you face it with courage. The courage of the promise. Give it over to Jesus and watch for resurrection. Those of you who have suffered deeply, you have a gift that you can give to the world, a hard-won gift. If you're someone who's made too many bad decisions, who's hit rock bottom and you found Jesus there, offering you grace and forgiveness, you will have an extra helping of space and grace to offer another who is struggling. If you're someone who knows what it is to be demeaned and diminished, judged for things you cannot control, you have something that other people do not have. You know what rejection feels like. And so you know the pain when others go through the same thing. You have a precise and incisive kind of compassion. When Jesus felt compassion, There were miracles. Sojourner Truth fought courageously and tenaciously to end slavery because she had been a slave. She knew that evil up close. She gave herself to God, and God used everything in her. Your suffering will be transformed. Your wilderness will rejoice and burst into bloom the springs of the kingdom bubbling up even now from the bleakest places in your life. That is the promise. That is the task. Even this is being made new. Even now. Please pray with me. Lord, may you fill us with the promise. May we see the world through the eyes of the promise. That all things, all things are being made new. That the wilderness will rejoice. Give us courage. Give us strength to face the wildernesses of this world, to do it with creativity and love and joy. Lord, may we trust you in it all and with it all. In Jesus' name, amen.